0: Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you in in great joy that you have converted a soul and that soul has publicly committed to you this morning. That Jesus Christ has the words of life and that this Jesus prophesied for thousands of years is still alive and still changing lives. God, open our eyes this morning as we get into your word. Lord, we pray that you transform souls, bring souls to life, awaken, revive by the power of your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me know if these verses sound familiar to you. At the place where jewels abound, 15 rows down to the ground. In the middle of 21, from end to end, only three stands watch. As the sound of friends fills the afternoon hours, here is a sovereign people who build palaces to shelter. Their heads for a night, gnomes admire, fays delight, the namesake's meeting near this site. That sound familiar to Anybody? you're not familiar with those verses penned, they were part of a 12-book puzzle that was produced around 1982 by a guy named Byron Price. And he wrote a 12-book puzzle seeking to get people out of their houses and on a scavenger hunt throughout many cities around our country. Only two of the boxes that he hid and wrote clues for were found. One was in Boston, I'm sorry, Chicago, the other one in Cleveland. But the poem I read for you was the poem for New Orleans. And many people believe it was uh, there in in St. Peter's area, downtown bustling area. But they fear that uh, new construction has been uh, formed on top of where the box may have been. The author of the books died in 2005 in a car crash, and so the, the secret is still hidden. And uh, many of you may know more about this story than I do, but I thought it was quite intriguing that a man would create this in a scavenger hunt type, uh, type of environment and leave clues, hoping that someone would eventually find what he had had hidden. As we look in our scripture reading this morning or this week, we are in the book of Numbers, and uh, we've made our way through the the first four books of the Bible. We finished Numbers yesterday, or maybe Friday, uh, and uh, we, we're looking at what uh, what we in our church are, are seeing as a repetitive uh, iteration of the story that God is giving, and so. Uh, we've got a graphic that we, we have been studying here at our church, or at least put together, that helps us understand what is the Bible teaching. It is a, a, a meta-narrative. It is a narrative in which it, it is telling a story. It is telling something, but it's telling it over and over. And we're seeing uh, these four items happening again and again throughout the Bible. If you haven't, if you haven't followed, uh, all of our messages are on our website or on the podcast. You can go back and check but here's the theme. It is that God creates. He, there's a fall. And then this redemption phase. Is such a repetitive phase. That there's a fall. And a redemption. A fall and a, a redemption. The fall and a redemption. And ultimately. That the Savior would come. And institute a new kingdom. A kingdom that is here. One that is not uh, of. Of people and land. But that is of. Spirits, And in a spiritual realm. And that God has created what he called the kingdom of heaven. And as we see different iterations of this fall and redemption. Ultimately, and one of the questions I asked you, Peyton, this morning is. Do you believe that Jesus will come back and that we will reign with him for all eternity? And you said, yes, I do. And that is exactly what we're talking about with kingdom. It is the future. It is the present but it is reigning with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Numbers. We will first begin in chapter seven. But as I do that, again, I want to remind you we are with a people who are, in the name of the book of Numbers uh, in ancient in the Hebrew culture it was called in the wilderness because that's where they are. They're in the wilderness. They're studying. I mean, they're they're wandering in the wilderness. God is giving them instructions. He's communicating through Moses, bringing words to words of life to His people. They're hearing these things and making decisions based on what they're going to do. Um, and so this morning, um, my hope and what I hope to accomplish is to share with you that there is something bigger than what we're seeing. And as the author of "In the Wilderness," or the Book of Numbers, Which is Moses is putting all of this together. He is trying to present to us something that is bigger than merely the nation of Israel wandering in the wilderness. But that there is a great redemption coming. That's my goal. There's something bigger than what we're seeing in the mere narrative that's happening. So let's begin. Now I begin this morning with with Moses being the one bringing the word of god now if you remember moses came to pharaoh with words of god let my people what go. let my people go and you might remember uh what's the actor's name in ten commandments saying it no 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 pharaoh he just died recently. will let my people go and i will not let your people he had the words of God. God commanded him to say these words, and he brought forth the word of God. Now, not only toward Pharaoh, but when he comes to the, mount, uh, the mountain and, and, and God, he goes up to the mountain, all the people are afraid. He goes up the mountain and he gets what we know as the, the what, the Ten Commandments. He gets them on tablets, and he brings them down. And many of you can quote those Ten Commandments. But there are 603 other commandments that are there as well. And they're from the mouth of God. And they're given to Moses. In fact, Numbers chapter 7 in verse 89 speaks of the communication that Moses and God would have. And when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat. And that is in the Ark of the Commandment. The Ark of the Covenant, the top of that was called the mercy seat and it had the the Cherubim, and their wings were facing forward toward each other. So you had two figures, one facing here and one facing back toward it. And that was the voice of God coming as it were from that position of holiness right on the mercy seat. He heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the Ark of the Testimony from between the two cherubim and it spoke to him. God spoke directly to this man Moses. And he would give him things to say. And and whether it be about what fabrics you can wear, the things you can eat, the tattoos you shouldn't get, or how to not boil a goat. All these things coming down were communicated to the people. Uh, Exodus 19.3, here's another instance in which God communicates Directly to Moses. While Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from out of the mountain. Saying thus you shall say to the house of Jacob. Tell the people of Israel. And he continues on telling them things that he should say. Moses was a mouthpiece to communicate the will of God to his people. Now in Numbers chapter 27 we have an interesting thing. And here's what it is. As God communicates to his people through Moses, you think, okay, God has given the words of life. He's given all that we need. And we as New Covenant Christians, meaning after Jesus Christians, we believe what God has given is sufficient. God has given us something that is good and and complete and thorough for what we need to know. But we come upon this story... In numbers 27, where we find there's a situation that the 613 commandments haven't really handled. And it's intriguing, because there's a problem. And, and let's pick it up here. in numbers 27, these are the daughters of Zalophahad and the daughters of Zalophahad uh, have a, a problem, and and, it is, and let me read it to you. Then drew near the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hepher son of Gilead, son of Mekir, son of Manasseh, from the clan of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. All right. The names of his daughters were Mahla, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest, and before the chiefs and all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting and they said, our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah. But he died for his own sin. And he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan? Because he has no son. Give to us, the daughters, a possession among mom. The fathers, our fathers, brothers. So here's the, the, the problem is that the law distinctly said that the sons of the fathers would get the land when it was passed down. It did not make a provision for for daughters to get the land. And so the daughters of Zalofahad, uh, they bring this to Moses and say, this doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem just it doesn't seem fair. This was our father's land. It shouldn't go away. So uh, picking up in um, verse six or verse five. So Moses brought their case where? Before the Lord. You see it? So Moses said, well, I'm going to go to the Lord. So he goes to the Lord. He brings their case to the Lord. And in verse six, and the Lord said to Moses, here's communicating him. The daughters of Zelophehad are right. You shall give them a possession of the inheritance among their fathers, brothers, and transfer the inheritance of their fathers to them. And you shall speak to the people of Israel, saying, if a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then give his inheritance to the brother. And if he has no brothers, and he goes on and on, um, and uh, gives the provision of the Lord. Now this is quite interesting, because what we see is there's new revelation given through Moses because of a and, and what just call it a gap in, in something that that hadn't approached itself or hadn't presented itself rather to the people. And God is still able to communicate and direct and guide a sinful group of rebels. And that's what we looked at last week was the rebellion that continued to rise up in Korah's rebellion. The earth swallows them up due to the bitterness that had taken root in their soul. God is still willing to communicate, care for, and diligently answer people's questions And ultimately, God was there because he wanted to institute justice. He wanted to institute what was right. And in this instance, something that was not as good and not as right as it should be was presented. And God wanted to make that right. And so he stirred the daughters of Zelophehad. He brought them to Moses, communicated with Moses, and then gave this this even better uh, revelation to be a more complete representation of who God is and what he wanted done. But the most interesting thing is that we see that Moses spoke regularly for God. It didn't stop on the mountain. It continued at the mercy seat and it continued when the daughters of Zalofa had come, and it continued as he made judgments, he spoke on behalf of God. Now, I'm going to say to you this morning that, that I believe that there's a hint that we need to, to take, and, and like that poem from the New Orleans Hidden Box, there is a hint for us to see going on in the scripture We don't see it more fully until Deuteronomy. But we see that God has a spokesperson. The Lord has given a spokesperson to communicate His will. And we see it in Deuteronomy 18. Watch this. This is Moses himself saying, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. And it is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said... Let me, and this is when they were afraid at the mount, mountain of God, Mount Horeb, to hear from God. They said, Moses, you go for us. He says this, when you said, let me hear again the voice of the Lord, my God. Or see, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord, my God. Or see this great fire, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, Moses, you are right in what they have spoken. And I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them that I may command him. God is going to have a continual spokesperson for his will to be done. And we see next coming. Who's the next spokesperson, if you will, for for the Lord? It's Joshua. We'll get to that book soon. But ultimately. There's more. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. So keep a bookmark there. God has a spokesperson. There's one coming that's going to be greater. And in fact, our New Testament helps figure out who the greater prophet is. But let's shift gears a minute. Remember that. Hear the hints. Let's talk about Aaron for a moment. Do y'all remember who Aaron was? Give me some things about Aaron. The brother of Moses. What else? He was the first high priest. All right, let's look at this. Moses was a spokesperson for God. Aaron was a buffer between God and man. Aaron was a buffer between God and his people. As the priesthood was was established, it was a step down from God while while being a step up from man. So, Aaron established this role of the high priest as being a, a holy role that was a step up from the, the common people. But it was not as holy as who God is, so it was a step down from who God is. And this role of high priest, of being a mediator, someone who was a buffer between God and man, that, that he might be able to communicate between God and man is what he was. You think about our our earth and the atmosphere, right? I saw in the news this week, I don't know if y'all saw, a a meteor, meteorite, whatever you call it, an asteroid is what it is in outer space. An asteroid the size of a giant swimming pool is heading right for earth. Do you know that? What's going to happen? As it enters this buffer area called our atmosphere, most of it's going to burn up. And it's going to, Going to be consumed, if you will, in this atmosphere. And, and this high priestly role was a way to buffer God's, God's um, wrath against his people for their anger. Let's look at it. Exodus 28. Look at the role here. Exodus twenty-eight thirty-six 36-38. Listen closely. You've probably breezed through this. I want you to listen closely. You shall make, and this is talking about the decoration or the outfit that the high priest is going to wear. He's talking about his robe. What his chest plate is going to look like. And different ornaments that are going to be on this high priestly robe. Watch this. This is interesting. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it. Like the engraving of the signet. And it's going to say. Kadosh on it. And that means holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it. On the turban. By a blue cord. And it shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be acceptable before the Lord. Aaron's going to do what? He's going to look back at the beginning of verse 38. What does it say he's going to do? Aaron shall bear any guilt. The high priest is going to be the guilty one before God. Do you see that? There's one to go before God and bear the guilt of another. It sounds like a hint, doesn't it? Look at Numbers chapter 18. Here's here's another hint Numbers 18 1 through 5. So the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons and your father's house with you shall what? Do y'all see it? It's up there. Shall bear iniquity. There it is again. Connected with the sanctuary. And you and your sons with you shall bear iniquity. There it is again. Connected with your priesthood. There's guilt that needs to be borne or dealt with before God. And you shall bring your brothers also, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they might join with you and minister to you while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. They shall keep guard over all of you. And he keeps going. I'm not going to go through the rest of that. The point is this. What we see is that there, has, there is someone that God appoints to bear the sin and bear the burden of the sin. Before God. Now, there are hints as to what is this? What are we talking about here? But someone needs to bear iniquity. One more, one more Numbers 35, verse 28. The Lord also instituted, and we read this this week uh, if someone unintentionally killed someone else, so let's say people are uh, cutting down trees with an axe, and let's say as you swing back, your axe head comes off of your handle and hits someone and, and fatally wounds them and they die. You're not intending to, to hurt someone. You were just cutting down a tree, but, but you've killed somebody. And that's, that's a bad thing. How do you handle a situation? Or maybe you're, you know, there are a myriad of situations. In our day and age, it would be we're driving our car. And uh, there's somebody who's riding their bike, and and it's at night, and we don't see them, and we hit them, and they fall off their bike, and they die. Well, our judicial system has a way of handling that. I, I didn't maliciously seek to run over this person riding their bike, but nonetheless, I ran over them. And that's not good. And we've got to deal with this situation. What they did was they set up these places called anybody know the name of them? They're called cities of what? Cities of refuge. And they were places where people could go and, and they would stay there. And as long as they were in this city of refuge, uh, the avenger of blood, which was their nearest kin who would have been the one to avenge their, their death, they were safe if they stayed in this city of refuge. The avenger of blood could not attack them. There was a, a, a safe place. Now, if they left this city... Then the avenger of blood, the nearest kin, could could take them out uh, and repay the death of their loved one. Now, an interesting thing happens in this city of refuge model, and it's in Numbers 35, 28. And, and watch what happens. For the, the person who did the damage, who killed the person unintentionally, he must remain in his city of refuge... Until the death of whom? Not the the avenger of blood, but until the death of whom? The high priest. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? He must stay until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer, the one who killed, may return to the land where he grew up or the land of his possession. That's interesting, isn't it? It's as if the death of the high priest is, is giving some finality to something. As if maybe he's bearing some of the burden of that. And his death is, is bearing that burden. That's the high priesthood. Let's put another bookmark there. We have Moses speaks for God. Throughout Numbers he's speaking for God. We have Aaron Acting as a buffer before God. Throughout Numbers we see that. The high priest bearing that buffer before God. Aaron, Eliezer and their sons. Let's put a bookmark there. And let's go to a third thing. This week we also read a uh, the narrative, the story of Balaam. Now if you remember Balaam. He was a, a diviner. Uh, he was a, a spiritual diviner. Uh, a person who who's talked to spirits, or at least proclaimed that he did. He was hired by the king of Moab, and uh, the king of Moab. Anybody know his name? It was Balak. It's a lot like Balam, but it ends in a K because he was the king, and that's the way you can remember that. Uh, Balaam was the ends in an M, and he's the messenger. But Balak hired Balaam. To curse the nation of Israel. Now it it kind of harkens back to this. You remember Pharaoh was king of Egypt. And do you remember what Pharaoh did. Right at the beginning of Exodus. That was really mean and nefarious. What did he do? He started to do what? Yeah he started to kill all the babies. Right you remember that? All the male babies at least. Do you remember why he started killing all those babies? He was afraid. Remember, he thought there was going to be a rebellion from the people of Israel. They were going to take over Egypt. Remember that? That's why. He was afraid. Fast forward. Now we're in numbers. Another king, another ruler, and he sees the nation of Israel. And guess what he is? He's afraid. And so what does he do? He doesn't go killing their babies, but rather he decides to go and... And hire a man. To bring a curse upon him. And so he hires this man. Named Balaam. And four times. Balaam. Goes up on the mountain. To curse the people of Israel. And of course you remember. In that process of going that way. Something special happens to him. What happens? Somebody, somebody really interesting. The donkey. Which is a, a female donkey. We find out. The donkey comes to him and says, you know, "And, and says, why, are, why are you whipping me? You know, he talks back to, to Balaam. But Balaam goes up and he, he changes places every time. Because as he goes to speak out curses against this nation of Israel, the Lord takes over. And he begins to speak things that are not curses, but what? But blessings. I see a lot of giggling. I think y'all are all figuring out that it's always the ladies that get to correct the guys, right? It works out that way. As part of who we are, it works out well. Balaam speaks blessings because God so fills his heart. Now, my wife asked me this week such a fantastic question Why did God choose this, this bad guy, this pagan? Um, I think of him like a witch doctor kind of guy. You know, a spiritual person, but not talking to God's spirit, talking to other spirits. And, and, and uh, conjuring up things in which to curse people is, is demonic and it's, it's part of the, uh, the spiritual world that is, that is bad. And so you've got this guy who's, who's in this negative spiritual world and she said, why is God using this guy? And, and speaking through this guy and even talking to him because he talks to him before, uh, before he goes and makes these oracles or, or makes these speeches. And I said, well, it's a really good question. And I'm, I'm not really exactly sure. But my thought is this. Even in that day. When when God wanted to speak, it shows to he could even use the most godless person that was there to accomplish the blessing. And we see that God can use anybody, anywhere, anytime to accomplish his good purpose. And so let me jump out just for a minute of this, this narrative and say this. If you're here today and, and, and you think I'm too far gone, God could never use me or maybe you think, I'm just too insignificant. God couldn't use me. Or I have this problem or that. Peyton, we're, we're kind of focusing things on, on the decision you've made today. And I want you to know, brother, that there is nothing about you that is a deficiency or a failure that God can't use to do something greater. So be willing as you walk through and live out your commitment to Jesus God can use anybody, anywhere, anytime to accomplish his great purpose. And so that's what we're going to pray for you. Jumping back into the story. Listen to the fourth oracle that Balaam brings. In Numbers 24, are y'all still with me? In Numbers 24, verse 16. The oracle of him who hears the words of God. This is Balaam speaking. And knows the knowledge. Of the most high. Who sees the vision of the almighty. Falling down with his eyes uncovered. Watch this. I see him now. I see him but not now. I behold him. But not near. You hear that? I see him. He's not here now. I behold him. But but he's not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A heavenly host shall come out of Jacob. And a scepter. What is a scepter? You know what a scepter is? I'm kind of helping you. I'm giving a hint. We're talking about hints today. Yeah. It's It's a ruling staff. It's a staff that the ruler would hold. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheth. A scepter will arise to crush the enemies of Israel. Now, there are many thoughts about what what Balaam is doing here. Um, so I go... I, Seek to convince you not on the authority of of my opinion. But here's one from Nathan Steinmeier from biblicalarchaeology.org. He says this. This oracle appears in three separate Dead Sea Scrolls. Now if you remember these were the scrolls that were found when they were throwing rocks in a cave. uh, And they go back to uh, ancient writings. And they're some of the oldest writings of of Old Testament Hebrew that we have. Um, He says... um, It goes back to the three separate Dead Sea Scrolls. The first being uh, 4Q Testimonia, which connects it to other prophecies predicting a future messianic figure. This similarly occurs in the Damascus document, this quote from Balaam. The War Scroll, as well, also presents this oracle as a messianic prophecy, where it concludes a battle hymn. Because he's going to overcome the enemies of Israel. Setting this figure as the Messiah who will crush Israel's enemies. We've got Moses, a spokesperson for God. We've got Aaron, a buffer between God and the people. We've got Balaam, speaking of a ruler who will come to crush the enemies of God's people. It's all right here in, in Numbers. And it's as if Moses is giving us all of these things, putting them together and arranging them for us to see something. But wait. There's more. One more story I'd like to share with you. And it's in chapter 21 of Numbers. Y'all have time for one more story? Numbers 21, verse 4. From Mount Hor. This is the people of Israel. They set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient along the way. Got a million plus people impatient. And the Lord spoke against, and I'm sorry, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless This worthless food that God is raining down for them. Verse 6 Then the Lord sent what? Fiery serpents. It's great. That's the Hebrew word, it's fiery. It means poisonous, dangerous serpents. The Lord sent, who sent them? The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people. So that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses saying, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. Sounds a whole lot like Pharaoh, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. They knew where the serpents came from. So Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses. Y'all heard this story, many of you. If not, check it out. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it or when he looks to it shall live. So, Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze pole, or the bronze serpent, rather, and live. There is another hint for us, another verse, if you will, in the poem to us that... That needs to be reconciled. And and this is one that that I don't even have to work hard to do. Because Jesus did this one himself. So let's let's pull all this together. Let's talk about this serpent and pull it all together. There's a poison in the people. There's a certain death coming. Because of this poison in the people. There's salvation that comes when someone... By faith looks to the thing that is lifted up. Can I say that again? There is a poison in the people. There is certain death coming because of that poison. There is a salvation that comes for those who by faith look to the one that is lifted up. And here's how Jesus said it when he spoke with Anybody know who Jesus spoke with when he talked about the serpent in the wilderness? If you were there Thursday night, you might know. He's talking to Nicodemus. And as Jesus says this, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must, help me out church, the son of man. Jesus speaking of himself. So must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So let me close with this Thought, this statement, and this idea. There is a better spokesperson than Moses. His name is Jesus. There is a better buffer than Aaron. His name is. There is a better king to hold the scepter, better even than King David, and his name is. There is a better savior. Then the serpent and his name is. I say this every week. I, I intend to do so. If not, Pastor Stephen has permission to say it when I don't. Jesus saves sinners that repent. Amen. And this is the message that we see not only in the New Testament, but that we see throughout the Old Testament. And we see it very clearly in the book of Numbers. If you're here this morning and you need a savior because you've recognized your sin, you've seen the venom that is in your soul that manifests itself in selfishness, in arrogance, in in self-centeredness, in in hedonistic tendencies. If you see it in impure thoughts and impure words and the way that you treat people, if you see that poison that is in you, there is hope. There is salvation because Jesus saves sinners that repent. And this morning I proclaim to you, I am just a servant of God. I can do nothing, nothing to save your soul. But there is one who can, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to bow before him, confess your sin and look to the one who was lifted up, not on a bronze staff, but on a cross. And his name is Jesus and say, Lord, I want to be saved and then commit yourself to the kingdom. Commit yourself to the kingdom of God. As Peyton has done this morning for us. And demonstrated that he intends to serve the kingdom of God. And makes that vow public before other believers. I am a kingdom man. Following my savior. If you're a Christian this morning. I hope that you look back and, and relive that redemption that Christ has put in you, that you know that there is a better spokesperson and his name is Jesus, that you know that there is a better buffer and that his name is Jesus, that you know that there is a better king and his name is Jesus, and you know that the one who saved your soul and paid for your sin, his name is Jesus. Let's pray then. Our Father, we are grateful for your Son, Jesus Christ, who saves us from our sin. We are grateful, oh God, that he is better than anything else and he fulfills every need perfectly. And we're thankful for the commitment that you have put in so many of us to be in your kingdom and to serve you with our lives. Jesus saves and we, we, O oh God, we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.